All right, everyone, take a seat. Today, we're gonna start with an introduction activity. Please first state your name and tell us all about either something you read or something new you learned. I'll go ahead and start us off. My name is Miss Marin, and unfortunately, I haven't really read anything in particular this past summer. However, I did learn something pretty cool. I learned about how scientists have been able to make progress with reanimating cells in pigs. Scientists have been able to help partially bring back to life certain pigs' organs. And why I find this to be particularly interesting is because we as humans are so very close to pigs. This discovery could be a step in the right direction towards helping people with organ failures or even slow down death, in theory. Now that I've introduced myself, let me explain why what I just did was so important. Welcome to the planning period. It is so important to be able to provide students options. Student choice is very important to increasing student engagement. Psychologists note that if you're allowed the position to make the choice, your brain is more likely to accept that choice. I mean, think about it for yourself. How likely are you gonna go along with something, even if it's simply because of the illusion of choice? If you go to a wedding and have no choice but to have the steak, you're probably less likely to be as satisfied with the meal than if you were given the choice to choose the steak, even if you do end up choosing the steak. When the choice can be provided to students, the decision-making should be left to them. This ownership associated with their decision will be more of a motivator to get them to participate in an activity that they may not even be fully bought into. There is also the other side of the coin too, Given too much choice can become stress-inducing for many students. It can be tempting as the teacher to want to give students a full array of choices because we want to be able to guide them in any direction they choose to go. But psychology also has something to say about decision paralysis. When we're presented with way too many options without clear cues to help us to sort them out or rank them with any sort of metric, we can become super overwhelmed by the options and essentially become paralyzed by the decision. Also, when you present students only one option in a situation like this, where the goal is to get students to open up and share, they're more likely to come off as maybe sarcastic or look out for some way to get out of answering the question. Something as simple as student choice in an introduction activity can really go a long way into establishing some sort of classroom management for the future. And one small bit of advice I would like to give when trying to look out for activities or prompts online to help plan your uh, introduction activities or anything that you decide to do in your classroom in the future, just keep in the back of your mind some of the ways that students may try their very darndest to try to get out of their expectations. Uh, we're all human. Students do it. We do it. We did it when we were students. Uh, it's obviously not with any malintent not to say anything bad about students, but students are going to student. Also, it's super important to keep in mind the overall intended goal for the activity. So, for example, some students, they're looking to boundary push, and they want to get to know how much you're willing to tolerate. 
Because of this kind of attitude, it can sometimes become annoying and even somewhat stressful to keep the activity going, even making you question it yourself. But here's where it's important to keep in mind the overall goal of the activity. It is an opportunity to get to know the students. If they choose to respond to the prompt with mirth or sarcasm, address it. Ask them why they feel the need to be sarcastic with the answer. I personally find that being direct, and of course that is not the same as being confrontational or mean. Usually being direct is the best way to let students know that you're accepting their choice, but that you will not tolerate disrespect. By allowing yourself to get flustered or to yell at the student and demand they answer the prompt right, you're also letting the students know something about yourself, and it's that you may not be able to handle them. Stay calm, point out the sarcasm, ask them to rethink their answer or maybe even consider answering the other option and that you'll come back to them later to try again if time allows, then just move on. This activity is not so important, especially not on the first day, to make it stressful. You have plenty of time throughout the school year for that. For other students, they may simply just have some difficulty coming up with an answer to the question and don't want to appear foolish in front of their peers. Think about my own answer. If you only ask students about something they read over the summer with no leeway to explore another topic to share, you're essentially shutting out students who just may have been too busy or maybe not interested in reading or have difficulty with it. By providing an alternative, you're giving multiple means of being able to engage with the activity. Remember, you aren't trying to shame the students for their choices on the first day. I mean, or really ever, don't shame the students. We'll circle back to that in a future episode. Think about including also maybe some miniature prompts as well to help guide the activity along with purpose for everyone. It's easy for us to forget what it is we're supposed to share, especially if we're so nervous about what we're going to say. Breaking the bigger question down for some students may be beneficial to their ability to participate fully in the classroom. And this adjustment right here is called differentiation. So what I just did with that introductory activity is called modeling. Uh, and with modeling, the teacher engages students by showing them how to perform a skill while describing each step with a rationale. This provides students with both a visual and verbal example of what they're going to be expected to do. Often one of my biggest pet peeves all throughout my time as a student studying education and also once I became an educator myself was how often my own professors or academic coaches would stress the importance of showing and not telling during a lecture with no interactivity or ability to practice the very thing they're teaching us. My goal is to try as often as possible to model as many techniques as possible, you know, bearing in mind that this is an audio medium, of course. Now, let's transition on into what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. Setting up your classroom for success. So this is something that can be incredibly daunting for a lot of people, especially if you're not someone who's particularly creative or crafty. Um, you know, thinking about myself as a teacher, I, I I like to think of myself as pretty creative. I tend to be pretty artistic in a lot of my endeavors. Um, when it comes to setting up a classroom, though, I find that I'm not particularly crafty. There's a bit of difference there. Uh, I'm good at drawing, not really good at looking at a paper plate and being like, I can make this into something useful. Um, 
So that is where I also kind of struggled a bit as a teacher, especially as a new year teacher. And so this, this coming section that we're going to talk about is um, really meant to focus in on helping those newer teachers kind of figure out their footing and not get overwhelmed in the overall classroom setup process. So I would like to start us off by kind of introducing three different types, I guess, of teacher uh, and basically how these three different uh, styles or approaches to decorating the classroom can have an overall impact, not just on the not just on the students, but also on you as the teacher. So first, let's start with teacher number one, the newbie lost in the sauce. This person, this teacher has no real awareness of shortcuts. They're taking the long way around every time because they just do not know that there's an easier way. Uh, Once the room is set up, really getting caught up in a lot of the, the finer details, really being uh, paralyzed by that, the the choices that you can possibly go into with setting up your room. Uh, I This is where I would love to share some personal experience. I was one of those teachers that spent so many hours after clock out just trying to get my classroom exactly the way that I wanted it to the point where I was like laying out on student desks because they were, they were kind of large in the school that I was at. So you can like fit your whole body practically on one. And so I would push all of the desks or a bunch of the desks together and just make one large desk out of them, put a whole bunch of those large sticky note papers on them and make a bunch of different pieces for the classroom, just like my word wall or my um, important concepts to remember, just all these millions of different interesting information bits that I wanted to have up in the classroom. Meanwhile, I'm doing all of this by hand, not even thinking like maybe I should print some of this stuff out because I felt like I wanted to give that personal touch of like, no, I I made this thing only to realize like within just a couple of weeks, most of that stuff is going to get crumpled. I'm going to have to replace it anyway by putting up a new word wall with new vocabulary words because I wrote directly on the paper. That means I had to rewrite the paper every single time I do it. So you see the bind that I got myself into as a new teacher. I'm here to tell you, please, for the love of all things sacred and holy, do not do what I did. <laughs> there was so much time wasted, so much paper wasted. And am I going to get more praise? recognition, money. No, none of that. None of that's going to happen. So do not drive yourself nuts trying to make the most perfect everything for your classroom. Let's talk about teacher number two. And we'll we'll go into the details um, once we get through these different types of teachers. So we talked about teacher number one, the newbie lost in the minutia and lost in the sauce, trying to get all of the things perfect and doing everything the long and difficult way. Now we have the teacher number two, the jaded longtime teacher, or at least the one who's been long enough, they're long enough to know um, they're not handwriting their word wall every single time on a large sticky sheet of paper. This classroom has little to no decoration. Maybe uh, a lack of intentional planning around what is hung up. 
maybe a lot of it is just old decorations from previous years where it's all torn up and tattered and maybe some kids have written on it. Um, some of the stuff is just put up on the walls with no real rhyme or reason, maybe just to kind of fill up space. And this teacher, they kind of hit the bare minimum, uh, just what admin requires, essential questions, word wall, etc. This particular type, there's nothing wrong if you are not the most creative. It's okay. You don't have to have a room that looks like it was just posted up on Pinterest. It does not have to look like that. However, there is something to be said about the idea of intentionality. When you walk into a space and you can tell that things are just kind of placed haphazardly, there's no real rhyme or reason to the way the room looks, people pick up on that. And it, it does kind of set the tone for everything that you're trying to establish in your classroom. You don't have to have the latest and greatest of decorations. It doesn't have to be anything over the top. But keeping in mind that maybe sometimes things need to get replaced. Sometimes things need to get switched out. Using the same things every single year is fine, at so long as some of the wear and tear is dealt with. Think about it for yourself. Would you want to be a student walking into a classroom? Maybe you already don't even want to be there. You're trying to motivate yourself to get into this subject. And you look and you see everything on the walls is all tattered and looking like it's barely hanging on to its last breath. And the teacher didn't really take much care to make sure it looks okay. So you're just like, damn, like, if they don't care, why should I? And you can't help but feel that way. I feel a lot of us have been in that situation where we see something that really is just like, yo, if you don't care, why should I? And so try not to become that jaded teacher. Try to keep in mind the ways that you can keep things bright, new, and fresh. And that, ladies and gentlemen, we will transition now to my last example. Let's talk about teacher number three now. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's the overachiever. So this person, this teacher, has a personal laminator to create new and exciting decorations every week or every month. Their classroom is pretty much an entire Pinterest page. And again, there's nothing wrong with that if that's who you are. But it shouldn't really be the goal for everyone. It takes dedication that can make the job more than taxing for people. It's a difficult thing. And it, if it's not for you, it's not for you. If you have teachers at your school that have that gift, I say take advantage, go to their rooms, take notes on some of the stuff that's the most important, the most crucial, the most replicatable that's not going to uh, either break your bank or break your back. Uh, I can say that from my own experience, I've absolutely had teachers uh, at the same school as, as me who definitely had their rooms set up as this like study mecca where you just can't help but feel super productive in those rooms. Mine, I would like to think that I could set it up to that degree, but I did my best and I think I did a pretty decent job considering. But you know, it's, it's one of those things to just keep in mind that while we do all have our varying tastes and our varying talents, Classroom environment is an important element to keep in mind as you navigate the school year and as you're also thinking about different ways of encouraging student engagement as well as planning out different types of activities. 
So I kind of want to move on into giving you guys four basic goals to keep in mind when trying to set up your classroom. Simplicity, purpose, feasibility, and fun. Uh, education loves acronyms, so <laughs> So first, let's start with simplicity. Keep it simple. Some questions to ask yourself. Will this take too much time or upkeep? How can I simplify what this is looking to achieve? Is all of this really necessary in order to allow my students to thrive? These three questions will help guide you in terms of keeping things as simple and straightforward in your classroom as possible. And simplicity is important for our brains. When things get overcomplicated, we all feel it. We get overwhelmed. And psychology does support this simplicity. So according to his TED Talk, Towards a Science of Simplicity, Harvard professor George Whitesides breaks simple down into three characteristics. One, they are predictable. Two, they are accessible. And three, they serve as building blocks. The easiest way to start is with predictability. We as humans love simple things because they're easy on our brain. It doesn't have to work as hard to understand them, which is good because our minds work at an insanely fast pace. In a 2012 study from Google and the University of Basel, researchers found that users will judge a website's aesthetic beauty and perceived functionality in 1 20th to 1 50th of a second. In less time than it takes to snap your fingers, we pass judgment on something as complex as a website. The judgments we make happen so quickly that they often feel instinctual or emotional rather than a mental process. Using this website as an example, when you first visit a site, there are certain predictable elements you expect to see, things like a navigation bar at the top or side for getting around, or a checkout in the top right corner for an e-commerce site. Every type of site, from an online magazine to a fashion blog, has these prototypical, prototypical elements. When a site doesn't conform to these expectations, it's harder for our brains to decode and we almost automatically judge it as either too complex or poorly designed. So this is talking about websites, websites and classroom design, not necessarily the same thing, but there are definitely things in common. If you walk into a room that's just way too visually overwhelming, it will physically or rather mentally feel more overwhelming to your brain. And so using a much more concrete example that applies to teachers. Um, most teachers will be required to have this in their classroom, though really, honestly, every teacher should have some form of this, a word wall. Vocabulary acquisition is a big part of student development and learning. Word walls are designed to help expose students to words that are relevant and important to the subject being studied. In your science classroom, having a section of the wall portioned off with important terms like hypothesis, theory, scientific method, with definitions, is important to exposing students to these words in context, thus helping to boost comprehension in that subject. In your math room, words like hypotenuse or tangent and radii could be difficult for some students to remember on their own without constant visual reminders. So think about which words are the most important for students to know throughout the entire course. And think again about 
hypothesis, for example, which will definitely be used all throughout the entirety of your time in science class. And so taking some of the elements of simplicity, keeping it simple when it comes to providing a definition, providing visuals for the word wall, the way the word wall is set up, the colors that you use, keeping these visuals and visual elements in the classroom as simple visually as possible will be the most beneficial for students. Moving on to keeping it purposeful. According to Kaplan, Intentionality means something is done on purpose or deliberately. For teachers, this means that you have to understand why you're doing something and that you have a plan and a purpose for everything that you do. Everything you have in your classroom and everything you put in your lesson plans. Consciously planning activities and learning experiences with a deliberate and specific objective in mind will help you meet children's needs and help them to learn and grow. So if you have to use a word wall, Think about what words are the most important for students to grasp. If you have a library in your room, what books are in there? How will students be able to make a choice on a book that isn't intimidating? If you have multiple boards in your room, what parts can be portioned off for other potential visual learning and retention opportunities besides just your vocabulary? Could you easily change out materials if you do? While intentionality may not always be noticeable, the lack of intention behind decisions definitely is. Think about what I was describing earlier, the classroom with that jaded teacher just putting up old decorations because they sufficed for those many years. I'm just going to keep using them over and over again. Students can tell when they walk into a classroom whether or not the teacher is an intentional one. Students are more likely to want to be engaged with a teacher that seems to have purpose and mindfulness behind each of the decisions that they're making about the learning environment. Now, keep it feasible. What are elements that I will use every day and how can I incorporate these realistically? How reasonable is it for you to maintain or change out elements when necessary? Psychologist Alan Kanner has described daily hassles as irritating, frustrating, distressing demands that to some degree characterize everyday transitions within the environment. These can include the practical, like losing your car keys or getting struck in a traffic jam, fortuitous occurrences like a thunderstorm you haven't brought a coat for, as well as other concerns like arguments, disappointments, and family or financial issues. Research focuses on the measurement of how incidents impact the individual and their relationship to negative emotional outcomes. Evelyn Buter, Marion Morel, and Jean-Luc Bernard have found that daily hassles can also lead to an increase in depressive symptoms. Buter and colleagues also asked first-year undergraduate students to complete a number of questionnaires designed to measure both depressive symptoms and daily hassles. Results found that a significant number of students, 41%, suffered from depressive symptoms linked to daily hassles, suggesting that daily hassles are related to depression, at least in first-year undergraduate students. There is also a difference in the severity of the depression in relation to the type of hassle. So the subjectively more important hassle, those related to the future, were more likely to result in depressive symptoms than the lower level hassles, such as physical appearance. I bring all of this up to say that the last thing you ever want to do when you begin a new job as a teacher, especially when you are also new to teaching, is to add more to your plate than you need to. Decorating and setting up your classroom is absolutely a necessary endeavor. However, it should not become a bigger one than necessary. Intentionality and simplicity 
will help to manage the feasibility of this task. And before you know it, you'll have your system down. Last one, keep it fun. Colors, themes, all of these make what you do in your classroom more engaging to students, thus making them more conducive to learning. Various types of visuals can be effective learning tools. Photos, illustrations, icons, symbols, sketches, figures, and concept maps, to name only a few. Consider how memorable the visual graphics are in logos, for example. You recognize the brand by seeing the visual graphic even before reading the name of the brand. This kind of visual can be so effective that Starbucks simplified their logo by dropping their printed name and keeping only the graphic image of the popularly referred to mermaid, though technically it's a siren. I think we can safely assume that Starbucks Corporation must be keenly aware of how our brains have automatically and effortlessly committed their graphic image to memory. According to Psychology Today, visuals and colors are impressively powerful on the mind's ability to retain information and learn. Utilizing visuals strategically placed in the classroom is a fantastic way to hijack our information processing system to help support comprehension. Remember, at the end of the day, the ultimate goal is learning. What does that look like in your classroom? Is that independent work, collaboration, tactile learning? Rely on your own experience as a student. Try to think realistically and honestly. Listen, there were times when I definitely preferred to be at a desk by myself, but that wasn't necessarily because I needed to be isolated to be able to concentrate, but rather because I didn't want to be bothered to have to communicate and collaborate with my peers. It's this kind of honesty that's important to keep in mind. It's for the, over, the student's overall benefit to be comfortable enough to be engaged, but uncomfortable enough to learn. I'm going to say that again. It is important for the student's overall benefit to be comfortable enough to be engaged, but uncomfortable enough to learn. Discomfort here referring to pushing people outside of their comfort zone into an area where development is needed. I always had difficulty effectively collaborating as a child, and, and so when I was in high school, I found I never really wanted to. We know how important it is for people to grow, being able to communicate and collaborate with others effectively. And so something as simple as how you set up your classroom can impact how outside of their comfort zone students will be guided to explore. What will also allow you to navigate the room effectively? Now, this one is tricky. We would all love it if we worked in large rooms with well-designed desks and small class sizes. Oh, how wonderful. But how many of us actually experience this reality? It is still important to keep a balance in mind between the ideal and the real. And remember to ultimately keep things simple. Are you looking to set up your lessons around collaborative work? Think about the best way to allow students to do this effectively without too much distraction from other tables chatting. Is there a lot of sunlight in your room? Maneuvering the desks to help take advantage of the natural light over artificial light can also be very beneficial to students and their ability to focus and minimize eye strain. Do you intend on having students work independently? The desks should be aligned in such a way to allow students their own space to work comfortably while giving you the chance to check in with each individual student as necessary. All of this intentionality gives students the immediate understanding of their roles and expectations, as well as letting them know that you too are also here to work. Now think of an anti-example. I did give a little bit of one earlier, but I want you to take a moment and really just think of the worst possible classroom you could ever imagine yourself being in. What does it look like? How big is it? What color is it? 
What does the floor look like? The walls? Are there windows? If so, what kind of windows? Is anything uh, fun in there? Are there any decorations at all or is it bare walls? What is your absolute worst example of a classroom? Now take the elements of your imagined image of that classroom, the ones that disturb you or bother you the most. How are you going to address those in your classroom? I'm going to leave you off with three questions to consider. We're going to call these our exit slip. So think about your answer. We'll come back to it next week. We'll discuss. So number one, thinking back again to the three different types of teachers that we've talked about and how they set up their classroom, what advice would you give the new teacher on how to best approach setting up their classroom? Number two, how would you help bring the jaded teacher back into seeing the value in the establishment of the classroom environment? And number three, how could you simplify the Pinterest teacher to make their room more realistic for you. All right, everyone, that was our planning period today. If you're so inclined, please look at the episode description for all of the footnotes for everything that I've talked about here today. And lastly, if you have any stories or advice, questions, concerns, I don't know, anything you just want to share, I, I take it. Send it. Send it all to me. I'll read it all. Email me at robinmarin at gmail.com. That's R-O-B-Y-N-M-E-R-R-I-N. I'm going to say that again. It's R-O-B-Y-N-M-E-R-R-I-N at gmail.com. Take care, push in your chairs, and have a great rest of your day. 